Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you guys made it out through this crazy snow. Wasn't too bad, though, right? The, um, it's going to be, as Brian mentioned, a little bit different Sunday, but we're really excited and privileged to hear about Africa Connect. Um, there's an upcoming trip coming soon. Caleb and Eva Senecal and their family are a really key part of Africa Connect. So Caleb's going to be sharing a presentation. For anybody who hasn't seen any slides, it's really good. It gives us a feel of what we're doing there and makes us feel a little bit of like we're there. So I'm really excited about that for their sharing. So for that reason, I'm only going to share about 20 minutes. It's going to be a shorter sermon. I want to give them time uh, to be able to share what they really want to share. So at 20 minutes, you can just yank me with a cane right off. But it's really good. Um, today, we're going to be talking about um, the greatest commandment. Today's message was really totally inspired by a couple weeks ago when I was eating with Josh and Natasha. I mean, um, Josh and Nessadine, we were, we were eating, sorry, all the Joshes in church, I just get so confused. Josh and Nessadine, um, we were sitting and, and God really pierced through my heart something Nessa had said. We, in the context of the conversation, her response was, she said, it all comes down to the greatest commandment which seems like a simple truth, but it really weighed on me heavily because I realized that's an awesome, difficult responsibility. Um, she was spot on. And I was really convicted by that truth. Um, there's a few gospels that point out that verse, and I'll, I'll, I'll start with the example in Matthew. Um, if you can pull up Matthew chapter 22, we'll start in verse 34. So here, it says, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees and Pharisees, they had gotten together, and one of them, an expert in law, tested him with the question, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And this is where Jesus replies, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And he ends by saying, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Um, so he summarized it all in saying, basically, that's all that matters. God, and then the second, like it, people. Very easy, simple, yet very difficult, and very weighty. So, you know, it had me thinking about, you know, wow, we, look at all that we invest in. But really, how much do we invest in these, this principle, the most important principle? And I look at myself and I'm like, you know, my, I know my actions are not consistent with what I claim to be true. So I started thinking through these questions like, wow, why, you know, why do we love and invest in things that really don't truly benefit us, especially in the light of this truth? And why do we put what we want and what we desire before what we truly need. So it's funny, I, I think back when I was younger, maybe not as wise, I always thought, you know, people were basically logical. Yeah, they had a tendency to be emotional, but people are, you know, mostly logical. But then over time I've come to realize, and not just looking at people, but looking at myself, I'm like, wow, people are basically just fickle, emotional people with maybe a tendency to be logical every now and then. And I was like, wow, that's a hard truth to really swallow. So 
And then you tie that to this idea of love. You know, love, the fact that it's not emotion is really hard to accept because we associate everything with that emotion. And it's true, emotions, they can accompany love, true love, but the heart of love and the core foundation of love, it's basically a decision. It's a commitment and it's a mindset. So it's totally opposite end of the spectrum of what I think most of us associate it with. So we're gonna look at three different examples, same example but in three different gospels of this idea. We're gonna look at the greatest commandment, which is, as I just read Matthew's version, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul, and all your strength, as it says in another um, gospel. And then also to love your neighbors yourself. And this is really a committed love. It's a difficult love, and it's a difficult message, and it should be a difficult message. So Matthew, as you, I just read that um, example, he summed it up by saying, you know, all the prophets, uh, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. When I go into Mark, we're gonna see that he emphasized this as being, um, he uses the example more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. So again, the emphasis of the importance is shown even in different accounts. And then in Luke example, we're gonna see that he takes the commandment and then he puts it into the context of our neighbor um, and using the parable of the Good Samaritan. So all are a little bit uh, different, slightly, but all three emphasize the heart of God and his kingdom. So I'm gonna read the Matthew account again just for context, but it said, uh, if you go back to that one, Matthew 22, 34, hearing that Jesus silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together, one of them an expert in law, tempted, uh, tested him with this question, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your mind. It's the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And as I had said before, all the law and the prophets, they hang on these two commandments. So let's look at the next account. If you um, pull up Mark chapter 12, in the Mark account it says, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and in this version, with all your strength. The second is love your neighbor as yourself. There's no greater commandment than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You're right in saying that God is one and there's no other but him to love him with all your heart and with all your understanding and with all your strength and to love your neighbors yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. And from there on, no one dared ask him any more questions. So the teachers of law and Jesus are actually referencing Deuteronomy. If you can pull that one up, Deuteronomy chapter six, in verse five, this is what Jesus had referenced. He said, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God 
with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So obviously this kind of loving God is a giving of all of yourself as Deuteronomy gets more specific into every aspect. Investing time with God, testifying how God works and moves in your life. Loving people is giving all of yourself to the welfare of people too. Showing grace, mercy and compassion to those who need it. And that's the second part we're gonna get into. Let's look at the last account in Luke. Um, if you pull up Luke chapter 10, verse 25, now we're gonna get into the Good Samaritan example, the parable of the Good Samaritan. So he says here in Luke, on one occasion an expert in law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other, on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Uh, they stripped him of his clothes. I'm sorry, I lost my place when I looked. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So this, this account looks a lot better because it really get, digs into that second part about not only what a neighbor is, but Jesus actually pointing a very clear picture. Uh, so there's no question of what, you know, now what we define as a neighbor. So that definition actually is, is similar to how the Torah commanded you to love one another. In Leviticus 19, if you can pull that one up, chapter 19, verse 18, it says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So it's kind of cool. The reason I chose this topic uh, really wasn't because of AfriConnect and sharing. Obviously, this is a great, um, pretty cool how the heart of mission is about extending mercy to our neighbor because of God's love for us, first of all, and also as a response of our love for God. Um, like I said, it was just because of what God had convicted me through just Nessa, what she had shared. But it, 
it really shows how important these two commandments are, how foundational to the body of Christ. Whether it's you and I and our individual conviction and calling working through this or an organization like Africa Connects, um, it pretty much shows regardless of where we are, we all need to be focused on this. Um, love is giving of oneself sacrificially for the benefit of another. Like it's a decision that's going to be sacrificial. If we had thought of it as the, the traditional emotional love, there may not be sacrifice in it because then we use how we feel. <laughs> but because it's sacrificial, it has to be a decision. It has to be a commitment. And it's definitely the decision part that I had referenced. It may not feel good, as I can attest to, <clears throat> but God requires it. And Jesus set the example through his life and his sacrifice. So our definition of love, why, it's rhetorical obviously, is it so far from God's definition of love? I feel like it's the difference between us confusing our need versus our want. That's probably a very basic, we can come up with a lot of things, but I think foundationally that probably is the heart of that struggle. Um, the need and want thing is really interesting. And there's a verse in James, uh, I think, summarizes what I call the slippery slope of want. Um, James chapter 1, if you look at verse 14, it says, But each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is full grown, it gives birth to death. So desire isn't necessarily bad, but like I said, walking on a slope isn't necessarily bad either. It's just that when you start sliding, you might lose control. So when we really desire something, we think the strong emotion might indicate it's important or it might even be a need. I mean, why would I feel this strongly if it's not important and if I don't need it? Um, that's the danger of desire. That's the momentum that happens, that buildup. When I say that slippery slope, it's like we think we're in a safe place. We think we've got a good foothold. And um, that's the danger of desire. It just feels so strong and so real that it can drag us away, as James said. And we're powerless. So why can't we just focus on needs? Why can't we play it safe? Why don't we see the slippery slopes over there? Let's just stay away from the slope, keep it over there. Um, I know I think that one of the reasons we don't is we downplay needs. Needs are basic. I do it. We give minimal thought, minimal attention to our needs, you know, but the opposite true of wants. We give plenty of time. We give plenty of thought, plenty of our resources to get what we want. And personally, I don't really want to waste a second more than is what necessary on what I consider to be a need. In my mind, and that's the danger, it's unimportant, I don't want to invest. So why is this the case? Especially when things we want the most, most of the time, maybe all the time, have no intrinsic value and rarely bring us any kind of benefit. So for you guys, think of you know one or two things maybe in your life which you invest more time thought, money, even resources outside your job, because obviously you don't have a choice there. 
but it's probably something if you're thinking about something you're really passionate about, uh, something you feel strongly about. You might even plan your day around it. It might really consume your, your thought life, but maybe not even to that degree. And it might be something you might be really challenged if you thought, I gotta give this up. It might be a hard thing to imagine living without. And it's probably something you really love. At least you feel very strongly if it's not love. And I'll give you an example in my life. I love watching a movie if I can stay awake from it. If I can actually like not fall asleep. But really, I love it. I love the feeling of like being in a movie, kind of escaping, losing myself. And a book is similar. I love reading books, but I intentionally stopped reading books because you can invest a long time. And I, I found that I'd waste so much time behind the pages of my book that I'd actually neglect a lot of responsibilities. So at least with a movie, you're just throwing away two hours, but still two hours. Um, I give you this example of something I love because it's something that has zero intrinsic value. I walk away with no benefit from it at all. It's something yet I love. It has no value. Movies and fiction books have no benefit in my life, and I love them. Don't ask me why. I'm willing to invest, I'm willing to invest in them in something that, what? It makes me feel good. Great. What, what benefit is that? You know, what benefit comes from that? Since I know this to be the case, I mean, God's heard me confess this. I have conviction towards this because this is God's time he's given to me. It's purely a want. And I could use it more wisely. I could use it more selfishly. That's part of free will. I chose not to. So I mentioned I give a little thought, very little thought to my needs. I think we can all agree. Partly, we live in America. Needs are kind of guaranteed, at least for the moment. <laughs> we feel like they're guaranteed. Um, partly because, too, we have excess. We have the resources to invest in the wants and the extras. And I think that does contribute partly to this warped mentality of what love is. Um, we're convinced, you know, we love something because of how it makes us feel. We measure love, as I mentioned before, by the degree of intense positive feelings it might give us. But think about in the context of Jesus when he's telling us to love his enemies. Do you think when he says love your enemies, feel really good, warm, fuzzies, and great feelings toward your enemies? So if we try to put it in our context, it kind of looks silly when you stick it in that context. But that just illustrates why his kind of love is so different than the love that we come to expect and know. Um, his love wants us to value the person or the object, but mostly the person. Uh, we invest ourselves in, that we invest our time in, and our resources. The true question of what motivates us to pour ourselves into something. That's always the, the tough question. The feeling it invokes in us because the value of that object or person, you know, which is it? Is it really the value of the person or is it the feeling? And that, it ultimately gets down to that question of need versus want, as I talked about. Our needs ha have value and we need to learn and even confess to God, you know, help us not to downplay these needs, just like the needs of others around us. We can't downplay it just because we don't get that great a feeling from it. I mean, these are people of value. It's a, hard, it's a hard message to hear. And the opposite's true of our, you know, our wants. We should downplay our wants. The fact that we feel so strongly is not merit enough uh, because of the true lack of value and meaning that comes from most of our wants. So you and I, 
start up really basically. What is our greatest need? Our need for a savior. Uh, a need to belong to God for his purposes. Those are the, the two most basic. Going back to the verse, our need to love God with all our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. You know, identifying true need will keep us on that path of truth, the goal what God wants from us. But on the opposite end, pursuing our wants is going to lead us on that path to you know, potential deception. And asking God to show us the difference between the two is necessary in our lives daily, just to avoid that trap of confusion we're talking about. So I made a little chart up. Uh, this is totally subjective, just to make a point. So if you don't agree, bear with me, just to make a point. But looking at our most basic need, we have a need for a savior from our sin and ourselves. Here's the danger, when we take it basic needs and we downplay them and we turn them into our own version of want, it could look something like something as basic as our need for a savior could turn into something showing God we're worthy. We wanna justify ourselves to God based on these motions. So this is the danger of the need, want, slippery slope thing. Second example, I think we'll all agree we have a need for relationships. We have a need for accountability, for transparency, to be open with people, to show who we are. But what, does that happen? what happens if that need, we act on what we want? We may wanna be part of a social group for maybe what that group will do for us or what it does in our minds in terms of boosting our own confidence. Again, it's just a slippery slope between need and want. Next one, think about um, our need. We need to trust God to accomplish his will and purpose in our lives through us. Very basic, basic need. Something obviously we can't do on our own. That's a true need we have to come before God. But again, what happens if we kind of change that need to our own version of a want? What if we feel that we... What we do really matters and is really important. Then we start negotiating with God, looking at what we want. So just changing that is very dangerous. How about just the need for uh, basic needs? Just survival, food, clothing, shelter. But what happens when we start thinking, well, I need more, where material wealth becomes? That's, a, again, an example of a slippery slope. Here's another one that's tough, especially in a day of information age and overcommitment, but this need to prioritize what's important. We all have that need because we can't do everything and we end up becoming stressed, depressed, deflated. But what happens if we feel this, that we have to do it all to feel good about ourselves, to show we're of value? You know, again, taking something basic and turning it and just tweaking it slightly can really deceive us. Another thing, we generally have a need to care about others. It's part of the neighbor definition. There's people in need showing mercy. That is a legitimate need. But what happens when we find ourselves pleasing other people more important? That's very dangerous, and we all struggle with that. What about considering others more important than yourselves, as Paul had told us we need to do? But that's funny, we end up a lot of times proving that we're just as important as the next person. We're investing time in showing our worth, which actually is counterproductive then to the fact that we're considering others important as ourselves. And two more, one of them speak truthfully. We all have that need, maybe don't wanna do it. And it's certainly that good feeling thing I talked about, no way. 
This is one area you're not going to usually have that good feeling when we're feeling convicted to speak truth. But then what happens if we have a stronger desire to not disappoint others by withholding truth? It's amazing just how we can find ourselves to that right side of want so quickly, being birthed out of the left side of just basic need. And the last one, showing people who we truly are. That's a basic need because I think we all want to feel like, hey, that person gets me. But a lot of times it's difficult to show who we are because of fear or whatever. So we may end up showing others who we long to be, this perception of who we want to be, which may not really be who we are. Again, it's pretty dangerous. Just to wrap up, you know, there can be a fine line between this truth and deception in our lives. And that's the danger in it, that slope, the line is fine. You can be safe in one second, and before you know it, you're like, what happened? Your head's spinning. And this is why Jesus boiled everything down to two commandments. I mean, you can weigh a lot of these commandments and be, you know, there's a lot of heaviness to carry. I think that's why it's important to simplify it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself, God and people. So is that something we're willing to do? Are we willing to invest in something that simple yet that so hard? Let's just close in prayer. Um, Lord God, we just, um, we just thank you for your truth. We know we need it, Lord. We need to each be brought to this point of looking honestly at our own hearts, Lord, by being willing to see our own selfishness, our own agenda. Lord God, our, only des- our own desire maybe to pursue our wants. Lord God, just show each of us what you want for us, Lord, our true need for you, to know you, to need you, to be used by you for your purposes, Lord God. You know, we know there's people in the world with need, Father. That's one of the reasons Africa Connect exists, God. There are, we have neighbors who are dying, who are struggling, perishing, just need help, need to know that you're real, Lord. Want to need to see the face of Jesus in us, Lord. Father, help us to be open to what you want to show us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.